Okay, a couple things. Um, the I've got this New Testament up here. We're done, having gone through the New Testament here. Um, you guys did a great job. So many people participated in the reading through that. Our sermons followed the reading. Just want, have had a lot of, so much positive feedback that this may be something we come back and do again. Maybe in like seven years, I'm not sure, where we go through the New Testament again, again as a body, preach through it again. I promise they wouldn't be the same sermons. They would be different ones. Um, so if you have one of those New Testaments, I really want to challenge you, don't take it to Goodwill. Uh, don't get on eBay and sell it, though I can tell you, you can make a lot of money off of it because we got the price so raised up because of how many we bought. Um, but hang on to that, and we, at some point, I do want to come back to that. You can highlight in a different color, and we can, like, do that again. So, And Brent McCrory preached last week for me, and I just want to give him a public, um, a public thanks for doing that. So... Um, Okay, if you would turn to Matthew 3, just put your finger, we're going to be in Matthew 3 in just a minute. If you're a note taker, we're starting our series on identity in Christ, and this series to me is so important, I'm going to talk about why in a minute. But if you're a note taker, I really encourage you, uh, if you don't have a sheet, to let us know. If you don't have one, and you're like, if you got through without getting one and you would like one, would you raise your hand? We can have a few people pass out. Raise your hand up high. If you, could I have a person or two who could just grab some of those back there, and then so the people. Thank you, Michelle, Sam. So keep your hand up, and they can get that to you. Also, if you're in a small group or a triad, and if you're wanting to a little bit follow along, I know a lot of you are reading through the Old Testament. If you want to spend 10 or 15 minutes debriefing what I'm going to talk about in this series, in the back on the way out, and the information are some blue sheets that have some questions that can help you as a small group to talk through um, or just talk through with some friends. So, all right, thank you guys for helping. All right, we got a couple more up here. Thank you, Michelle. All right, we live in an age of identity. A few years ago in the New York Times Magazine, um, this was the, the article, they called it the year that we obsessed over our identity. And our whole culture right now is obsessed with identity, especially I'm looking at the younger the younger generation, um, you guys, I have one up here. Would you like to come get it? Yeah, one more. Thank you, Michelle. Especially the younger generation um, is on this search for identity. Somebody has said that the supreme achievement in modern culture is to say that I have found my identity. There is this immense cultural pressure on us right now to define ourselves to create my own identity, for me to decide who I am, um, for me to define myself again. And here's how you do this. Here's the cultural narrative. But first, you look inside of yourself, right? You look inside to your, your feelings and your emotions and your longings and some of that stuff, and you kind of you identify these things that you find to be true of you inside. And then, then once you've done that, the second thing you do is you self-construct that identity based upon those things. You create an identity of who you are. But interestingly, in our culture right now, it tends to be just a few of those things, or even with a lot of people, you just take one thing from inside of you, and you create an identity based upon the one thing. That's really common these days. And then once you've created it, so you've looked inward, you've created that identity, and then our culture, the big thing is you've got to give expression to that. You've got to let everybody know who you are and what your identity is. And right now, the dogma of our age, the orthodoxy of our age, the thing you should never violate is once a person has declared to you what their self-created identity is, the worst thing in the world you can do is to ever say anything contrary to that. 
That's the worst thing in our culture you can do. I think the hallmark of our age is found in this quote by George Bernard Shaw, who said, life is not about finding yourself. Life is about creating yourself. And consumerism has ramped this up so much. I mean, all the marketing that goes on, the commercial branding that, um, if you've ever seen the, um, the, the Netflix, it just left me, the social dilemma, I think it is, how much companies are trying to help you build an identity based upon their product. They're trying to brand you. Um, and so a lot of people, they're building an identity kind of on a brand. Of course, I would never do that. Um, but a lot of companies are trying to get people to do that. And then technology and social media has exacerbated it all. Um, we live with personal technologies. We live with phones with things that are constantly about us, like posting who we are and our identity. And we cultivate, creatively, carefully cultivate a persona and only the good things of our life are ever shown on that usually. Um, and we filter our image that we just want people to see things about us that we only want them to see. In chat rooms, message boards, even on online gaming, you can create an alternative identity. You can even create an avatar that represents your identity. I've never played League of Legends, but there's an avatar named Garen. Look at that. That is so awesome. He looks a whole lot better than I do. I'm glad Pat never met that guy before we met. And many people now, even on in, like using Instagram or those kinds of things, that there are apps you can literally get on and change your face, literally change how your face looks. There's one called Facetune. You can get on, slim yourself down, make your complexion a little bit better. So I thought I'd try one of those and see what that was like. So I took a picture of mine uh, and put it on Facetune. And I mean, it is amazing what you can do for that. It is just really amazing. Uh, <laughs> it has been said of us that we are living for likes, but we are longing for love. Living for likes, but we're longing for love. And I want to tell you the problem with this push in our culture to create our own identity. A couple of things. At the end of this series in February, I'm going to hit these more of these, but I want to hit a couple of problems with. Number one, it is not holistic. Because as I said, in this age, what the temptation is and what people tend to do is you'll focus maybe on one thing about yourself and that becomes your identity. But a lot of who you are remains untouched and hidden, especially your darkness, right? Nobody puts, their, hardly anybody puts their darkness out as their identity. There's a few who do, but not many. And what we need is a holistic identity. I need an identity that encompasses all of who I am, including my darkness. I don't need an identity that's not holistic. But not only that, this whole creating identity, it just simply doesn't work. There was a recent survey done of Gen Z and millennials asking the question, what is the thing you most need in life, the thing you're most longing for that you don't have? And do you know what the answer was? By far, number one was they were looking for an identity. They felt like they didn't have an identity, a clear identity. So an age that tells us so much, you've got to create an identity. And everybody's trying to create one has created a lot of young people who are like, I don't know what my identity is. And it's no wonder there's so much depression, um, anxiety, and suicide, I think, in younger generations, never experienced before. But it's not just a young person's problem, it's a human problem. I mean, as I look out, people my age and older, we all struggle in some way with our sense of identity, right? I have several friends who are men who have retired in the last five or six years. And all of them, when they retired and quit their work, really went through an identity crisis and were struggling with who are they and their identity. So this is a human problem. But I do want to tell you, 
that this is a huge problem among the younger, younger generation. There is a lot of evidence that there's new pressure on them that's never been felt in human history. And so a lot of people are struggling with an identity crisis. And that's kind of the, the, the title of this series. People, a lot of people in our culture, even some of us, are desperately trying to prove that we're important, that we value, and that we matter. And that's why this series is so important to me, because we live at a crisis with this. Um, to me, this whole topic we're going to hit over the next six weeks on finding your true identity in Jesus. To me, it's so foundational. It's so bedrock. It is like one of the most important things. But I want you to know, I was a believer for 18 years before I ever learned anything about my identity in Jesus. For 18 years. And I'm convinced that it should be like in your first year of following Jesus, it should be one of the first things that people talk to you about and teach you is what does it mean to have your identity grounded in Jesus. For a long time, I didn't know what that meant and really struggled with that. So my goal in all of this is I want to show you, especially this morning, I want to show you where not to find an identity. And then the next five weeks, we're going to talk about where do you find your identity. And specifically, my hope is that we will all live here, live, leave here in six weeks, not just with head information, but with heart transformation that all of us will leave here with an identity in the words of Paul in Colossians 3, 6, and 7 that is, that is grounded and rooted in Jesus. That's the long-term goal for me. That all of us will leave here in six weeks with a lowercase i identity. And we'll talk a little bit later about what that means and in the next couple of weeks. But that's my goal, is that we all leave with a, a lowercase i identity. All right, key foundational thought um, before I kind of jump into this. I mean, I've already jumped in, but a really, really important thing that I think it goes without saying that you will live out of your identity. You will live at whatever your identity is, you will live out of it. It will affect everything you do. Everything you do will come out of that. It will frame everything in your life. It will frame how you look for things, how you look at things. It'll frame how you live. And I think a corollary is this. If you build your identity on the wrong thing, you will live your life for the wrong things. That's why Craig Rochelle has said that a lie believed as truth will affect you as truth. A lie believed as truth will affect you as truth. Okay, so before I get to today's key idea, I want to talk to you about, I want to distinguish between two kinds of identity. There is, the first one is what's called my unique identity. My unique identity, it's just the combination of my past, my family of origin, my upbringing, my temperament, my personality, my likes, my dislikes, what I'm good at, my experiences, my wounds. I mean, all the things that have been my life that have kind of helped make me who I am. You know, I'm a Denver Bronco fan. I'm married to a beautiful wife, Pat. I have three wonderful children, a wonderful son-in-law, uh, a wonderful daughter-in-law, another grandchild coming along the way. I love Mountain Dew, sunflowers, these pizza, the Denver Broncos, right? Those are, those are just unique things. I tend to be an introvert. On the disc test, I'm a... I'm as high C. I mean, there's, just, there's things about me, about my life, that's my unique identity of, that gives me a finger or a thumbprint that nobody else has. And we're not going to hit that in this series, but that idea is important. And in the fall, we're going to talk about, do a series on work. And we talk about work. I do want to talk about your unique identity and how that's a pointer to what God has created you to do, okay? But that's for next fall. But about this unique, I do want to say this. While behavior and personality, my urges and inclinations, the things of my life, my life situation, they may explain a lot of what they do, those things don't define who I am. Those things really don't define me. And that's where the next type of identity comes in, which is called foundational identity. Foundational. And foundational identity has two elements, a sense of self and a sense of worth. 
that sense of self is like the question, like, who am I? What am I? Like, what does it mean to be human? And then that sense of worth, like, am I valuable? Am I accepted and am I loved unconditionally as I am fully? That sense of, of worth. And I want to tell you, those two questions are questions all of us ask and struggle with, right? Perhaps in some way, though, you don't realize that I think on a daily basis, that identity thing is running as an operating system underneath us. So in this series, I'm going to focus on the foundational identity, our sense of self and our sense of worth. So I have a question before I launch into today's topic. I just want to know, and if you don't have an answer, that's okay, because at the end, maybe we'll have a better answer. But I just want to know, where do you center your identity? What is to you your foundational identity? If somebody asked you that and you were to say a sentence or something, what would you say is at the core of your identity? I think what we're going to talk about next is going to help with that. So here's what I'm going to do this morning. I want to talk about, in our first Sunday on identity, I want to talk about the three counterfeit sources of identity. Three counterfeit sources. And I call them counterfeit because they look like the real thing, but in reality they're not the real thing. They will ultimately disappoint and fail you. They're kind of like mirage identities. You know a mirage, you're in the desert, you're dying of thirst, and you see what you think is an oasis, but when you get to it, it disappears and it's really not real that that's what these identities are like. And here they are. There's three of them. Three sources, counterfeit sources of identity. And they are this. I am what I do. I am what I have. And I am what people say or think about me. I am what I do. I am what I have. Or I am what people say or think about me. I want to talk first about that. I am what I do. When this is my core identity, I confuse achievements. I confuse achievements with my identity. I feel that I have worth because of what I do. And I want you guys to help me. What are some things people do, can do that they can build their identity on? Give me some, some things. What are some things I can build my identity on or the things I do? Okay, parenting. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Who said that? Yeah, how profound, right? That, that even, yeah, that is so profound. Like at 18, we know what, what are my kids like? And you can so define or not define yourself on how they turn out, right? Did I do a good job? What else? I heard a few others. Yeah, success, being successful at things, always doing the best at them. What else? Grades? Yep. Grades. Status. Sports, I was saying the athletes here, that athletic achievement. Man, I haven't heard anybody say to me that one of the big ones. Yeah, my work, my career. Okay? And I want you to know when you live for your identity out of your achievement, you stop doing the thing for the sake of the thing, and you stop doing it for the glory of the God, for the glory of God, and you start doing the thing to wring an identity out of it. And you become an achievement junkie, an achievement junkie. And you use what you do to try to fill the void in your life that only God can fill. And then there's that second one, I am what I have. And in this one, I confuse assets with my identity. I feel I have worth because of what I have. Now, it can be possessions, but it could be other things. So I want you to help me with this one. What are some things that I have that I can build my identity on? A car? Yep, so we could take material possessions, a car, a house, a second house, a cabin in Colorado, whatever, things I have. What else? Huh? 
A job, yep. And so that would be a little bit different because, like, if it's what I do, it's, it's the work I produce where I get my identity, but if it's, if it's the have, it's like, man, I've got this title, I've got this great position, I'm Dr. So-and-so, right? So that in that job, it can be what I have helps define me. What else? Yeah, relationships, yeah. Espe- yeah, boyfriend, girlfriend, especially. I mean, when you guys get, all get older, you'll know this. It's so easy for your spouse. It is so easy for your children. And now I'm learning it is so easy for your grandchildren to become your identity because you have this amazing thing, a reputation. But when possessions stop merely being things that I use to advance God's glory and his kingdom, they become about defining myself. And then I just become an asset junkie. I just need more of that thing that I have to have. And I use what I have to fill the void that only God can fill. And then the third is I am what people say or think about me. And in this one, I confuse a claim for my identity. I confuse a claim with my identity. I feel that I have worth because of people's opinions about me. And I mean, I think you, you, (laughs) I don't know what human doesn't struggle with. Does anybody, do anybody here struggle with that besides me? Am I probably the only one? I mean, do you, do we not all struggle to a degree with that? Um, You know, and I want to, you know, when you live for people's approval, you start becoming an approval junkie an approval junkie. And here's what happens in your relationships. Your relationships really quit being about loving and serving people, and it becomes about using them to get the acclaim and the approval that you actually need to have a stable identity. And so people become something that we use. And then what happens is, is I take that need for approval to be smiled upon, and I try to fill the void in my life that only God can fill. And I want you to know, when you're striving to build your foundational identity on those three things, Here's what your whole life becomes about. Your whole life becomes about performing, just constantly performing, doing better, performing, perform, perform. It becomes about protecting whatever it is you have. You have got to guard it with everything, right? And it becomes about pleasing. I've got to please the people around me. Performing, possessing, protecting, and pleasing. And you get in this never-ending journey, this never-ending cycle of internally, constantly seeking self-justification in here and externally striving and seeking for validation from people out there. And it just becomes this this like roller coaster, self-justification, validation. And I want to tell you, that is not a good place to live. If you've ever been there, I've been there. It is not a good place to live. So what I want you to see is this is actually what our culture is promoting and it's specifically, it's promoting building what's called an achieved identity, that I am the one who creates my identity. It's something that's achieved by me. This, in this service, this will miss maybe three quarters of the audience. But when this is, this whole idea of having an achieved identity, it's like Smith Barney, right? Where I do it the old-fashioned way. I want to earn it. That's what an achieved identity is. All the old folks in here are kind of shaking their head, right? Get on YouTube and put in Smith Barney. When we seek our identity in these things, here's what I want you to know. When you're trying to have an achieved identity in these three things, what you're looking for is what I call a big I identity. Big I, right? It's really all about me. It's all about me. And it's just a mask for a self-focused, self-directed life where I'm the one who's sitting on the throne of my life. 
Um, that's the old, that's the Campus Crusade diagram. I don't know if you can see it, but there's the throne at the center of my life, and I'm the one on the throne of that life. I'm the one creating an identity. I'm the one finding meaning in my life. I'm achieving it. I determine who I am. I want to be in charge. I want to be in control because really, it's all about me. It's all about me. And I want to tell you, as we're going to see in the coming weeks, and we're going to see in a minute in Matthew 3, I think when, when Jesus, I mean Jesus, many times when Satan attacks us, I think frequently his attacks on us, he goes for the jugular, and he attacks us at the point of our identity. Because if he can nail me at the point of my identity, where I get back into that lifestyle of, oh, I am what I have, or I am what I do, I'm what people think about me, and I'm just, I'm just seeking self-justification in here and validation out there, if he can get me living there, he'll totally undermine my, my life in Jesus. And I want to show you this in Jesus' life. So Matthew chapter 3, I want to show you how this actually worked and happened in his own life. Um, and in this text, you're going to see Jesus dealing with the same temptations we do, specifically the temptation to root his identity in what he did, in what he had, and in what people said about him. So in Matthew chapter 3, you have, I think starting in 13, the story of Jesus' baptism. I'll go ahead and read in 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But when John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And Jesus replied, let it be so. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. Now, verse 16 to 17 is powerful. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was open. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. There's the identity piece right there. He hasn't even started his ministry, and the Father says, you are my son, whom I love and whom I am well pleased. And as soon as he gets that, that, that declaration of identity, chapter 4, verse 1, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil in the ways that we are tempted. And verse 2, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And so the tempter came to him. And he said, that next word is so important because Satan, again, when he attacks you, he will so often go for the jugular. He will hit you at the point of your identity. He who is just declared to be the son, Satan comes and says, what's that next word? The first word. If. If. Oh, if you're really the son of God. If you're really him. And then what's it say? If you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Well, if you, if you really, really are, do something. Don't just sit here. Do something. Turn stones to bread. And then in verse 4, Jesus refuses to buy into that, to putting his identity on what he did. So then verse 5, then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And again, attacking him at the point of identity, if you are the son of God, if you really are the son of God. Throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And I need to tell you something really important culturally here, because we read, we read with uh, first century eyes, right, and we ask 21st century questions, something really important culturally going on, that in the years leading up to Jesus, we, it's been found in the Dead Sea Scrolls and some other writings in the years, like the hundred years before Jesus came, there became this expectation that when the Messiah came, that he would actually show up on the pinnacle of the temple 
and would show himself to people by floating down into the temple courts so that the people would know who the Messiah was. And so Satan, when he takes him up there and he says, just jump off of that, you'll float down, you'll be okay. What he's saying is, is if you will do this, can you imagine what people will say about you? The acclaim you will get, you will be declared immediately as the Messiah. No three years of conflict, no pain, no suffering, no rejection, no betrayal, no cross. Just, just do this and everybody will give you that acclaim that you're the Messiah. But in verse 7, he, he rejects that one. And then verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. If you'll worship me, you can have it all, right? You can have it all. The three temptations to define myself by what I do, by what people are going to say about me, or by what I have. And then it says in verse 10, Jesus said, Away from me, Satan, for it's written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him, and angels came and attended to him. And what's amazing to me in this whole encounter, in this whole encounter, Jesus modeled for us. He never bit at the temptation to define himself by what he did, by what he had, or by what people said about him. And he modeled for us what it means to have a received identity. And I spelled that wrong. I noticed that. I heard uh, I before E except after C, right? I still remember that. He modeled for us what it means to have a received identity, not an achieved identity. But unlike Jesus, I mean, if you're like me, don't you continually struggle with the sinful self and the desire to not take a received identity from him but to achieve one on your own. And I want to tell you, I've already talked about some of the problems in our culture, but I want to tell you two problems of having an achieved identity. Two really big problems. First, I just want you to know, it is not stable. Having an achieved identity is shakable. Uh, I like F words. I don't know why I have so many F words, but uh, I mean, not all F words, just some F word. I want you to know that if you build your identity on what you do, on what you have, or what people say or think about you, I want you to know that is fragile, it is flimsy, it is flawed and fickle, it is fleeting, and it is finite, and it will fail you. It will fail you. It is the most shakable thing you can build your identity on by what you have, by what you do, or what people say about you. If you're all about, I am what I do, all it takes is you fail at a project. Somebody talked about success. I fail at a project, or I can't complete a task or I lose my ability to produce or to do work, that kind of thing. If that happens to you, you're sunk. Your identity's sunk. If you're about what I have, all it takes is you lose that thing that you've built your identity to, and you're up the creek without a paddle. And if you're building your identity on what people say or think about you, and if you're out here and you know this, I mean, you, you totally understand this. All it takes is for somebody to criticize you or to look funny at you, to give you a glance, and they can wreck your day, right? Or not just a day, they can wreck a week or maybe a month, wreck a month. I just want you to know whatever you build your identity on outside of Jesus, losing it will shake you to the core, to the very foundation of who you are. And these are things that are not only shakable because they will leave you at any moment. They can leave you at any moment. They're shakable because they will never satisfy. I'm created to have God at the core of who I am. I'm only fulfilled when I have him. And these things will always leave you high and dry, empty and hungry because you'll never 
do enough. You'll never have enough. You'll never have enough people saying the right things about you. You'll never be satisfied. LeBron James, after he won his first championship with Miami, this is back when I got a newspaper from, this, from the Wichita Eagle, uh, long ago. He, there was an article about him written about three days after he had won, and him talking about the euphoria of finally achieving a championship. And here's what he said. He said, what really got me was how short of a time it lasted. The championship lasts like this, and he snapped his fingers. The confetti rains, you go in the locker room, pop the champagne, you do the media, you have the parade, the parade, and then it's over. It's over. After 48 hours, the euphoria was gone. Because you can never do enough, and you can never have enough, right? And it just becomes this cycle that you've got to prove yourself again and again and again. How many of you have seen the movie Chariots of Fire? Great movie. Everybody should watch. Uh, won an Academy Award for Best Picture. True story about Eric Little who was a Scottish guy, yay for the Scots, who his parents, he grew up in China, his parents were missionaries, he became a missionary to China, was one of the greatest runners of his day. And how in the Olympics in Paris, um, he and his main competitor, Harold Abrams, were always competing in the 100 meters. And how Harold Abrams had built his identity on his running. Eric Little had not, he had built his identity on Jesus. And that race happened on a Sabbath day. And they had, he, had, he knew it before they went, and they had asked the race, the, the Olympic officials, to take it off the Sabbath because he was committed to not running on the Sabbath. That was his conviction. To move it to another day and they wouldn't do it. So he ended up not being able to compete in his race. But Harold Abrams competed in it. And in the movie, Harold Abrams, the reigning Olympic 100-meter sprinter, says this to Eric of the upcoming race, that he hated it because he says, I've got 10 seconds to justify my existence. That's what happens when you build an identity on what you do, on what you have, or what people think about you. Madonna in 1991 gave an interview. You look at Madonna, you kind of feel like she's really confident, right? Do you not get that vibe? Here's what she said, I have an iron will, and all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I'm always struggling with that fear. My drive in life is the horrible fear of being mediocre. That's always been pushing me, pushing me. Even though I've become somebody I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended, and it probably never will. It'll never satisfy. What you do, what you have, what people say about you will never satisfy. And so this thing our culture's promoting, that if you can only create an identity, you'll have total freedom, it's hogwash. I want you to know that. It is the least freeing thing in the world. It is burdensome to carry that because you never really know who you are. You never really know who you are. It is a crushing burden. So I want to take this just a little bit further, why building your own identity doesn't work. And before that, I do want to say one thing. I want to step back just for a minute. Um, because the, these three things come from longings that God built in the human heart. He created us to be significant. He created us with a desire to be secure in what we had. He created us with the need to be smiled upon. <coughs> These things are actually found in Genesis 1, 26 to 29. In Genesis 1, 28, God says this to the man and woman he created. I want you to be fruitful and increase in number. I want you to fill the earth. I want you to subdue it. I want you to rule over it. 
So he created them to make an impact, to have significance. That is a true, genuine human longing, to want to be significant. Verse 29, he says to them, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they are yours for food. He created them with the need for abundance and to have things to meet their needs. So that need for security, that's, that was designed inside of them. And then in verse 28, just these three words, it says, God blessed them. He smiled upon them, put his blessing on them. That need to have the smile of God upon you is a genuine human need. But that first man and woman were not created to center their identity in those three things, the need to be significant, secure, or smile upon. They were created to center their identity in God, and when they centered it in Him, He would provide those three things. Does that make sense? So those three needs, I just want you to know that there's nothing wrong with them in and of themselves. But I want you to know that Adam and Eve tried to create their own identity. We'll talk about this in a few weeks. And when they did, they fell. And they were tempted at the point of their identity too. It's interesting if you look at Genesis 3, Satan tempted them at the point of their identity. So the other big problem with creating your own identity is not only how shakable it is, that it will never satisfy, it will leave you, but also it generates in you problem emotions. And specifically this, when being significant becomes about your identity, I want you to know you will never be able to do enough, never able to do enough, and you'll struggle with guilt. And when, you're, when being secure, having enough, becomes about your identity, you will never have enough, and you're going to struggle with fear. And when being smiled upon by other people, when that becomes about your identity, you will never hear enough from anybody, never hear enough, and you're going to struggle with shame. Those strong emotions we struggle with, guilt, fear, and shame, those things grow out of me trying to build an identity on something I'm not created to. And I just want you to know, there is no lasting satisfaction in living that life where I'm on the throne defining my identity. There's no satisfaction in that at all. There is no peace, no rest, no shalom. I mean, I think we all know this. I know this. Trust me, I need this series probably more than anybody. When this stuff becomes about your identity, your life is a roller coaster, right? It's a roller coaster, constantly up and down. When you build your identity on what you have, what you do, or what people say or think about you, you're building your identity on something that's a house of cards. Trust me, I know that. Been there and done that. So here's my question for us as we wrap up. My question is, is this. I want to know where do you center your identity? Specifically, what are the two things you most struggle with in building your identity on? I want you to take for a minute to think about that. What are those, of those three, which two do you most struggle with to build? You're tempted to build your identity upon those things. Specifically, which one is the thing you're most tempted to build your identity on? If, if you were to isolate it to the one core one, what would it be? And for those of us who struggle with building our identity on all the wrong things, I just want to ask this question. How's that going for you? How's that going for you? 
Can I ask, can I ask for some vulnerability? I'm curious, how many of you, you're one? How many of you would raise your hand and say, man, I'm really about building my identity on what I do? How many of you would say, what I do is where I tend to build my identity? Yeah, I hear you. How many of you would say, what I have? Doesn't have to be possessions only. It could be family or something, but what I have is where I build my identity. Who are the haves that are here? And how about that last one? It's approval. It's all about being smiled upon. Like, it's what people say or think about me. How many of you? And how many of you are like, man, I I can't get it to one. It's do and have people smile, you know, which is where I'm at. Okay, here's my challenge that in this six weeks, let us give up our need to define ourselves and to create and craft for ourselves an identity. Um, And here's what we desperately need, all of us. We desperately need an identity that has a durable core. It doesn't matter what happens in my life. It doesn't matter the ups and downs. It doesn't matter what people say, what happens, nothing. That it stays there no matter what. It is durable. I've, I've got this core that's just durable. It's always true about me. We need a durable core. We also need an identity that's holistic. Not an identity where I pick one thing and I define myself by one thing and I make that public to everybody or a couple of things, but an identity that encompasses all of me, an identity that, that involves everything that I am, including my darkness, And then we need an identity that's life-proof, that can make it through all the challenges, the ups and downs of life. So I just think a lot of us, we spend our life trying to create an identity and living into it. I would love that we end this with a sense of instead of living for an identity, I want to live from an identity. I really want to know what it means to live from an identity. And I want to tell you, there's only one place you can find an identity that fits this, that's a durable core, that's holistic that's life-proof, that is totally satisfying, that leads to rest and peace and shalom in your soul. And that's part two of the sermon. Are you ready? How about I take a breath? No, that's next week. That's next week. So next week, I want to talk about where do you put your identity um, and where do we find that? So can I pray? Father, I, I preach this because I need this reminder all the time so easy to put my identity in what I do or what people say or think about me, even some of the things that I have. It's just a constant battle. And Lord, I know that I need to root my identity in you, that you're the core. And I just pray over this series that you even would remind me of these truths as we look at your word over the next several weeks and that you would help us all to have an identity rooted and grounded in you and that we would just live different than the people in our culture. So Lord, um, just looking forward to the things I'm going to be relearning and refocusing on. And may, we, may you make us a people at 12 who are people who live out the identity we have in you. And I pray this in the name of Jesus, the one who is at the core of who we are. Pray in his name, amen. So 12th, I mean, you guys know this. There are so many people out there you know who have no clue who they are. And their whole life is this roller coaster, no meaning, all that stuff. So... Let us leave as people who live in an identity of Jesus so to show people what that looks like, okay? So 12th, you are sent to live uh, in Jesus this week.